Good morning once again. We're going to discuss a beautiful, beautiful idea this morning, the idea of restoring. Restoring. This is what your mom means when she says, clean up your room. Restore this room to where it was, the way it was. Many of you have had different experiences. It might be that that's one of the pleasant things about finally getting out there and cutting the grass, cutting your yard, because you restore it to the way uh, that you want it to be. You restore it to the way it was. Many have an interest in restoring old houses and rebuilding them back to the original uh, pattern. That's what we are as Christians. We are originalist. Okay. We are calling people back to the original pattern. As you know, in our family, my dad was huge about his old cars. He died in 2014, but he was able to restore some vehicles while uh, he was still alive, especially his 1955 two-door hardtop Chevrolet Bel Air. And when the restoration process begins, it it looks like this. It kind of looks like this. It looks, it looks kind of broken down, but you have to break it down before you can build it back up. I remember as um, a teenager, young teenager, Dad sent me and my mom to someplace way out in the country, and he had it arranged that we would bring home by wrecker an old car. And there we went, and I got to drive in the cab of that wrecker. I thought I was big. And we were pulling this junk car home. And as we came through the small town of Jasper, we had the attention of everybody. Everybody stopped what they were doing, and they looked our way. This is how it begins. And then it progresses a little bit because... Every car that is restored eventually has a good coat of primer on it. But then the finished uh, product looked like this. Dad's favorite colors was black and red together. And um, everything on this car was original except for one thing. I mean everything, the steering wheel, everything. Hubcaps, everything was original except one thing. Dad put a CD player in the trunk. <laughs> and then in the trunk, as you open up the trunk, were the words on the bottom of the trunk, and it said, I did it my way. I did it my way. We're talking this morning about the important principle of restoring. Restoring. And so we will seek to go in three directions. We want to start... The day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and then we want to look at a very important Old Testament example, and then we want to come back to our day. So three simple transitions uh, this morning. Let's begin and ask some questions about the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. First question, what is so important about the day of Pentecost? Well, the prophets pointed to the day of Pentecost, Isaiah 2, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah talked about a day that would occur in Jerusalem and that the word of the Lord 
would um, be spoken in Jerusalem. The day of Pentecost takes place in the day of um, in the day of the apostles on the uh, in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, Jesus also pointed to this day, Matthew sixteen eighteen and nineteen. He talked about building his church. And he said in that process, he said to Peter, Peter, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom. And so it is Peter who is doing the preaching here, Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. He teaches people about Jesus and what to do about our sins. In Acts 2, 37, the people asked, what shall we do? And Peter answered, Peter answered, repent ye and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you shall receive the remission of your sins and you shall receive uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, he says there. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 15, the, the day of Pentecost is called the beginning. You'll want to underline that in your Bible if you haven't already done that. Acts eleven fifteen, as Peter explains later, things that happen on this day, he says to some of his brethren, he said the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles as it did on us in the beginning. In the beginning. And so when we go to Acts 2, Pentecost, this is the beginning. This is the beginning of Christianity. This is the original pattern set by God for his church. This is the beginning of of the church. So that's what's important. What is so important about the day of Pentecost? Another question is this. Did Peter give the right answer? Did Peter give the proper plan from God as he spoke on that day? Well, he absolutely did. Acts 2 verse 4. Acts 2 verse 4 says, He spoke and the other apostles spoke as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. You like that term utterance. I like it too, because I don't ever get to say it, except Acts 2. He spoke as the Spirit guided him, as the Spirit gave him utterance. So he gave the right answer. He gave the right plan on that day. A third question is this. The people who obeyed the gospel that day, the people who were saved that day, were they added to the right church or the wrong church? Were they added to the right church or wrong church? We know they were added to the right church. Acts 2.41 says those who gladly received his word on that day were baptized. And they were added on that day, about 3,000 souls. They were added. What were they added to? They were added to the Lord's body. The Lord's body. You see, we read in 1 Corinthians 12.13, for by one spirit... Or you're all baptized into one body. Were they added to the right church that day? Absolutely. Now suppose we go back in time. Suppose we're able to go back in time. We go back all the way to the day of Pentecost and we catch someone who's just come out of the waters of baptism and we ask them, we ask them now, which denominational church are you now a member of? Which denominational church are you now a member of? Wouldn't they look at us in the most weird way? They would. What are you talking about, denominational church? I was just added to the body of Christ. I just received the forgiveness of my sins. I am a happy soul. 
let's suppose this. Suppose you're on the, those on the day of Pentecost. Suppose those, of all those saved on the day of Pentecost, suppose about 10 days after Pentecost, about a fourth of them broke away and said, hey, let's start our own religious group. Let's start our own religious group. Let, let's, let's come up with our own beliefs and our own religious group. And then suppose about 10 days after that, more of them broke away and said, let's start our own religious group, religious group and then another, and then another. Well, let me ask you this. Would God be pleased with that? Of course he would not. Jesus prays in John 17, 20 and, and 21 that those who believe in him through the apostles' word would all be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I am in thee, that they all may be one, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now let me ask you this before we move on. Today, today, are we to be guided by the pattern that is set up there in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, or are we to be guided by the thoughts and the opinions of men and women ever since that day? Now it is the conviction of anyone who reads the New Testament that what God set up there on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, was set up exactly as he intended it to be. You see, Peter says himself, Peter himself says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, 2 Peter 1 verse 3, that God has granted unto us, the apostles, all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness, so you see that all things that are needed for life and godliness were set up in that original pattern back there in Acts 2 and in the New Testament times. And then this question before we move on. How can these things that were so right now be so wrong? How have things come to be as they are? How did we get here? What do you mean how did we get here? How do we get here where now there are thousands upon thousands of denominational different groups that claim an association with Jesus but are not practicing the things of the New Testament? How did we get here? Well, let's go to an Old Testament example. Let's start in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. You remember the Ark of the Covenant. This is a little chest that God had the Hebrews build, it would be placed in the most holy place of the tabernacle. And within this chest, there would be placed certain items, a pot of manna, uh, Aaron's rod would be placed in there. Also the two tablets of stone that contained the Ten Commandments would be placed in there. The Ark of the Covenant became very important in Hebrew history. David got it in his mind as he was king that he wanted to move that ark closer to Judah, closer to, he, to where he uh, was living. So he starts out to do that. First Chronicles chapter 13 has a recording of this. If you look down to verses 9 through 14, you see something went very wrong. They had this ark of the covenant. They were bringing it. They had it in a cart. They had some oxen uh, pulling it. They came upon the threshold of Kaidon. There were two drivers of the cart. Their names were um, Ahau, not Ohau, but Ahau, 
and Uzzah. And Uzzah. They came upon the threshing hold of, of Kidon, and the oxen stumbled. You see it here. The oxen stumbled, verse number 9 and 10, and then Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark, and suddenly whammo, God in his anger strikes Uzzah down dead. And then in, with God's anger, David's anger was kindled, and David was very frustrated and exasperated and wondering what is going on. I notice something in this process goes very wrong. But as we think about it, notice that there was grand support for this. Notice chapter 13 here in verse 1. David consulted with his commanders of thousands and his commanders of hundreds. Notice in verse 4, verse 4 of 1 Chronicles uh, 13. It says, all the assembly agreed to this process of moving this ark okay, closer to home. All the assembly. And notice, if you will, that there was a grand celebration about this. Verse 8. Verse 8. David and all Israel were rejoicing before God with all their might, with song and harps and, and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets and so forth. There was a grand celebration. Now, folks, we can't just pass by that. There are folks who... who are involved in religious error today, and they have grand support across the land. Major cities, they have, they have stadiums and buildings full of people. They have grand celebration taking place even right now as we speak, but that doesn't mean that what they are doing is proper in the sight of God. This is not proper. David, something has gone wrong. This is, David is doing this. He's got grand support from all of his commanders and the entire assembly. Okay. They're as happy as they could possibly be to have the ark of God coming closer to them, but something is not right. Okay. Now our question is, was there an original plan for the moving of the ark? Was there an original pattern for the moving of the ark? Had God said anything about how he wants this Ark of the Covenant to be moved? All right. So yes, there is. And let's follow it in your Bibles. So start Exodus 25. Exodus 25. God had Moses to start putting together all the different furniture for the tabernacle in those days. Verse 10, he begins to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. And if you pick up in verse 12 of Exodus 25, he says, You shall cast four rings of gold for the ark and put on its four feet two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. Okay. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I have uh, given you. So notice here in Exodus 25 how to transport the ark is, is being told us here. Rings on the four corners of the ark and then they're to carry them 
by poles. Now turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And if you look down to verse number 8, Deuteronomy 10 and verse 8, it says, At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry what? To carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to stand before the Lord to minister to him and to bless in his name to uh, this day. So notice that in the original setup that it was going to be the sons of Levi that were going to be doing the carrying of the ark and they were to carry it by rings and poles. All right, let's get even more specific than that. Turn to the book of Numbers chapter 3. Numbers chapter 3, and we're looking down to verse 17. It says here that the sons of Levi, and here are their names, Gershon, Kohath, and Merai. Merai. Gershon, Kohath, and Merai. And then in Numbers 3, in verse 31, you'll see, well, if you look at Numbers 3, 29, 30, and 31, you'll see that specifically the Kohathites and their clans were to be the ones involved in the ark, verse 31. See that? The Kohathites were to be carrying the ark, sons of uh, Levi. All right. Now let's drop by Numbers chapter 4 and verse 15. Numbers 4 and verse 15. And notice this little comment. It says, and when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry these, but they must not touch the holy things lest they die. And then let's drop in Numbers chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. You'll notice that there have been some offerings given by the people, offerings of carts and oxen. Carts and oxen. If you look down to verse 7, number 7, beginning in verse 7, two wagons and four oxen will be given to the sons of Gershon for their work. Verse 8, four wagons and eight oxen will be given to the sons of Mary for their work. Verse 9, but to the sons of Kohath, he gave no oxen or carts because they were charged with the service of the holy things that had to be carried on their shoulders the poles and the rings on their shoulders and so yes God had spoken there was an original pattern as to how this was to be done now let's go back to 1st Chronicles chapter 15 1st Chronicles 15 can you believe it David is going to try this again He's going to try this again. Okay. Has been some time. David's going to try this again. Verse 2. David said, well, verse 1 says, they're preparing a place for the ark of God, pitching a tent for it. And in verse 2, David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. For the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord. Somewhere, someplace, since 1 Chronicles 13, 
David has had a Bible study. Somebody, either David on his own, or somebody has pulled David to the side and said, look, I think this is what went wrong. And so they got back there in the law of Moses and they began to read some things. Okay. Notice 1 Chronicles 15. Now let your eyes go down to verse 13. David speaking about this matter. He says, because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule, this one says, according to the due order, according to the ordinance. So the priests and the Levites concentrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Now I wonder if David had said something like this. He didn't. I wonder if he had said, well, you know, that was a long time ago. There were about 500 and something years between the law of Moses and, and David's reign there in Israel. What if he, he had said something like, well, that's, that's back then. That's over 500 years ago. We now have the kings. You know, that's before the days of the kings. We, we've had Saul king. Now I am king here. And we've, we've had many victories. We've had God has been with us. That was then. This is, this is now. No David knew that what was written then had authority over him at that moment in his life. And so we come back to our own day. What about us today? Let's think about it. Have men and women made any additions or subtractions since the day of Pentecost? Well, they have. They have. I can think of several, and you can too. Right there on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, when they asked so sincerely, what shall we do about our sins? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, nowhere in that statement, nowhere in the New Testament is this thing called the sinner's prayer. But many of your denominational preachers will look to you and say, well, you need to repent of your sins and say a prayer. Or you need to rep repent and have faith was in, and say a prayer. Okay. Now, I was listening to several interviews since Thursday and Friday in this Supreme Court good decision that, that came out. And one news segment was interviewing a man, I think his name is Andy McCarthy. Andy McCarthy. And he's a lawyer, he's very, very conservative. And so they were talking to him and he was talking about how that, that Roe versus Wade was never, not only was it immoral, but it was never good law. It was never really law at all. It was not written well. It had no basis whatsoever to ever be in this land. And they asked him, they said, well, how did it ever come to be supported? And he, he said, here's the short answer. Here's a lawyer. Okay. He said, here's the short answer. They just made it up. I heard that right verbatim from a very decorated lawyer. He said, they just made it up. 
In other words, there was no basis from the medical sense, there was no basis from the Constitution to ever come up with a ruling like Roe versus Wade. They just made it up. And over 60 million babies have lost their lives because somebody just made it up. How many souls are being lost and have been lost because somebody had just made something up and people just supported it and they don't want to say anything against it because it might hurt somebody's feelings. Okay. But the sinner's prayer is just something that's just been poofed, just made up out of there. There's no support for it whatsoever. You, you can read, read, and read through the New Testament many, many, many times. You won't find it there. It's just been made up. This idea of a sinner's prayer and so many other things also needs to be overturned, don't you think? Because souls are being lost. And things have changed since the day of Pentecost. Not only have things been added, things have been subtracted. Why? When it's so plainly, plainly spoken in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 and Acts 20, verse 7, that our our worship day is the first day of the week. Our time to take the Lord's Supper is the first day of the week. Our time to give of our means is the first day of the week. Why do people have such trouble with that? You're going to buy something. You're going to pay it out in monthly payments. The person across the table says to you, your payment's going to be the 15th day of the month. The 15th day of the month. You look to that person and you say, which month does that mean? Or is that two or three months? And the person looks back to you and says, every month that has a 15th day in it is when your payment is due. And so when the Lord says, come together on the first day of the week, He means every week that has a first day in it. We are to assemble together and remember his death, his sacrifice, his resurrection in our behalf. A little girl and her dad were headed to church one Sunday morning. It was her time to go to church with dad. Mom also was going to church, but she was going to a different church that same morning. And this had been going on for some time. The little girl was not so little anymore, about five or six years old, and she, she looked to her dad as they got out of the car, and they're in the parking lot, and they're headed to church, and she asked her dad this question. She said, Dad, doesn't God do all things for the best? He said, of course, honey, she, he does. And she said, well, why couldn't he make a church where you and me and Mommy could go to church and worship together? And the answer to that, of course, is he did, and he has, if we go back to the original blueprint of what God has set up. Suppose you had three glasses of water, and in one glass of water, you just bring in dirt the darkest dirt you can find stirred in. And then on another glass of water, you bring in some things not as dark, but certainly would make it look dingy and undrinkable. But then right there in the middle is just pure water. Pure water. 
which one are you going to drink of? The only way for us to drink of the pure water spiritually is to go back. Go back. Won't we go back? God is calling us back, isn't he? The idea of restoring is so important. Even the prophet Jeremiah said a long time ago, Jeremiah 6 and verse 16, ask for the old paths. We've got to go back. In order to find our direction, we must go back. We extend the Lord's invitation this morning, but every time we do it, we are basing our, our thoughts on this very idea of going back to God's truth. Will you come this morning as we stand together? As we